and welcome. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your podcast. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here as we soldier on for the next hour. Well, I'm soldiering on. Uh, I will apologize in advance. I am. I got something going on. Um, so I will. I will try and get through this hour as best as I can. But Donovan's here, so we're all good. Uh, how are you today, buddy? I'm great. We got two great guests coming on. Sure do. It's Rank Wednesdays, and then we got to talk to Mr. Lights Out himself, Sean Merriman. I'm fired up. Hump day in what is a busy NFL calendar. So let's get at it. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Um, I mean, when we look at the games coming up this week and all the storylines that you know that are along with it, um, we didn't even talk yesterday about the David Tepper situation. Yeah. Like lost in all of the chaos on the field. Um, the off the field storyline, and there's plenty more. Uh, we can talk more about Brad Allen as well. But David Tepper threw a drink at a fan. Like, like let's not sugarcoat. Alleg- allegedly. Oh no! Oh allegedly. no! The the video is is proof enough for me. Um, I, I just don't and- want uh, David Tepper to come after you with a, a slander or a liable lawsuit. Well, he got a three hundred thousand dollar fine yesterday, so I guess is uh, that a fine though? No, no. When you're not. worth. That- Billions, Donovan. He can find that in his couch. He can find it in his couch. Like he, he really can. And that, and that's the issue that I have with this fine. Um, like, is it is it really that detrimental? Is it really going to stop him from throwing another drink or doing something stupid to a fan again? No. And my point is. What would have happened if that was a player that did something like that? Like, what's the repercussions for that kind of behavior from a player? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure they come down a little bit harder on the player than they do on David Tepper here. David Tepper is worth $20.6 billion. Finding that's him 300000 That's 000. a lot of money. He has low-level staff that work for him personally that make more than 300,000. <laughs> so, I mean, you suspend him for me. Yep. And people say, well, what does suspending him do? I mean, he's, he's not he's not playing. Well, one, you would it have stopped suspended. Stops him from throwing a drink on somebody, that's you know, for sure. One, one it would, you would suspend a player, so you should theoretically have harsher punishment for an owner. But two, when you own these teams, part of the reason is not just the return on investment, because you could invest your money in a lot of different areas and get return. It's the social capital. It's being there. It's being seen. It's being in the suite. It's hosting. Being able to do all these things. That's why people own these sports franchises, because it's a bit of a flex. There are, it's a when, toy. when you're rich, there are very few things that you can do to let everybody else know, hey, guess what? I'm rich. So I think they should have taken the toy away. Now, listen, it it may have done him a a favor to not watch this football team in person. But, yeah, I know finding someone who has $20.6 billion USD, according to the internet, which is never wrong. uh, I'm not really (laughs) sure what that does. Uh, Let's bring Adam Rank into the conversation. Adam Rank from NFL Network and the sick podcast with Adam Rank joins us. Firstly, before we get into this conversation about David Tepper, how much did you miss us? Honestly, a lot. Oh no, this was uh, this was uh, 
kind of the unofficial start of the week. You know, for me, like Monday, Tuesday is kind of a wrap up of like, hey, here's what happened over the last week. Wednesday was when I could get focused on, uh, you know, that's when we start to look ahead. That's when we start going, all right, now, now it's a football week. So Donovan and uh, Matt, it's great to have you guys back. And Matt, appreciate you hanging through. Powering on. I'm sure that when you have Sean Merriman on, who's played through countless injuries, he's going to be like, you know what? I empathize with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Nobody is empathizing with David Tepper after his reaction uh, the other day against the the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, the the Panthers stink. And there's a conversation to be had about the job that David Tepper has done because when we looked at him buying this franchise, there were a lot of people that were really excited about what he was going to bring to the Carolina Panthers. And I can, I can say from my vantage point that it has been an abject failure. And now you look at things, this, that he's done off the field now getting fined by the NFL. This is not something that the NFL wants nor the NFL needs because they already, there's already enough bad publicity, but for an owner to do that, like, that's that's not a good look. And David Tepper has had more than one incident, whether it be, you know, having his fingerprints all over the team or whatever, that it really doesn't look like things are going all that well in Carolina right now. No, I'm with you. I thought that the engine ownership was something that was needed considering who the, the previous ownership was and things that had happened. So, yeah, it, it made a lot of sense. And I was excited, you know, new blood into the NFL is typically good. And uh, we always, you know, we get excited for things like that. And, you know, he was involved. That's true. And and even, you know, going out at the end of last year when Steve Wilkes was not retained after Carolina had played so well, you're like, I don't know what this guy's doing. But they went out there. They hired Frank Reich. You're like, okay, like this. They made a move for the number one overall pick. And you're like, like this. And I know I sound selfish because I'm a Bears fan uh, and we're getting DJ Moore. But. There is something about the stability of having a franchise that has your quarterback situation already taken care of because everything else, st- like you can build around that. Like, okay, if we got our quarterback, then things are cool and then you move forward. So you're like, okay, like I think Carolina, it, it can be pretty good. And, you know, one of the things coming into this season, I was even, I, I was sort of like, you know what? I think I Carolina is going to low-key be good and 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 kind of, you know, looking at the the landscape of what the NFC South is all about. Like they'll be in the mix, like seven wins, eight wins probably takes that division. Like, Oh, I think the Carolina Panthers could do that. So it's been shocking how quickly it's all unraveled. And Frank Reich didn't even get a year. And, you know, and I, I think Bryce Young's good. I don't think it's fair to, to harm, uh, to say anything bad about him, but yeah, it's been a real mess. And I don't know how you get out of this. I don't know what, what is what happens to, to to turn this all around? Now, obviously, the next head coaching hire is going to be the most important. But man, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in Carolina right now that really needs to be addressed this offseason beyond what happened in uh, Jacksonville. What a difference a year makes! Remember last offseason when the Carolina Panthers were one of the teams that couldn't wait to tell us that they weren't interested in Lamar Jackson. Oops. Uh, <laughs> might might want a uh, mulligan on that one. Uh, speaking of uh, the Ravens, I I'm watching Joe Flacco eviscerate his former team, the New York Jets, and I'm like, okay, this is gonna happen. 
the Browns are going to make the playoffs, and he's going to march yeah. back into M&T Bank Stadium just the mm-hmm. exact way that the script writers wrote it. If you were looking at the AFC landscape, is there a team that, for you, can push Baltimore more so than the Browns? Like who, you got the Bills, assuming they make it. The Dolphins, who, who is that team, that worthy oh, contender, if you will? Yeah, you know what? It's Cleveland or nothing. And obviously, you know, I'm not trying to curry favor with the Cleveland Browns. I'm sure you've heard now, David Njoku, <laughs> the tight end of the of the Browns. And I'm sure you're sitting there and I'm I'm sure you've exchanged glances like, can we bring this up? Is he cool? Like, yeah, of course. Uh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, David Njoku, once their team clinched, let everybody in the world know that I suck and it's fine. Uh, we're all having a good laugh. Let's get some mileage out of it. Listen, Matt knows this as well as anybody. Like, I love wrestling. So if I am the if I'm the Bret Hart, I'm trying to figure out am I the Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels of Cleveland? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I'm getting all sorts of heel heat, and that's fine. But Cleveland is that team. And one of the questions that I had coming into this season for Cleveland, and one of the reasons why the Browns were upset with me was I had real legitimate concerns about this squad coming into the year. And I'm like, you know, uh, the quarterback does not fit the system. You've missed the playoffs in back-to-back years. Is the coach good? Obviously, they had a good roster. That's always the thing with fans. I, the thing I love about fans is anytime there's a team that exceeds expectations, the fans are always like, you you thought with this roster? I'm like, you can do that with every Every team has professional players. Every team has, look at this roster. Yeah, of course. It's all about putting it all together and having things break correctly and building building momentum and, and, and establishing winning, which the Browns had not done. But they have over the last couple of weeks. And I think that, and I don't believe this to be a hot take or anything, the Browns are better with Joe Flacco. And it's it's amazing how much better they've played. I know Deshaun Watson played well in his final game before he got hurt, but it's a better team. It looks better with Joe Flacco. Like, he, he's got a real command of this offense. And I think they have a real legitimate chance, despite the fact that they're beat up on the offensive line. They've tried to make it work with Jerome Ford and, Kareem Hunt and some other guys, they've still found a way to get it done. Amari Cooper's fantastic. David Njoku obviously has been playing really well. So I think that it's the Browns because I'm looking, although I will say, and I'm not trying to curry favor with Matt now, but like we we can't (laughs) overlook Buffalo. Like we talked about this, Donovan. I don't think that you were on the show that we talked about it. Like I was not like, I'm like, no dude, Buffalo. No. And then I did a complete 180. When Patrick Mahomes went and got a bunch of wind in his jaw after the loss, so that just that just rubbed me the wrong way, like so much. Like I just I was so disappointed. So I'm like I'm now like pro Buffalo. Like yeah, let's give Buffalo a shot. But I think the rest of the teams, like Kansas City, no, nobody in the South. I would have said Miami, but like now nah, you had your shot, Miami. Like Miami had their shot because there was no. Better uh, and Miami was dealing with its own issues, the uh, injuries on the offensive line. No Jaden Waddle, so perhaps I don't want to be too quick to dismiss them. But really, it comes down to Cleveland and Buffalo. And my hope is, oh, we're gonna get, we're, yeah, we're gonna end up. We need somebody. We need one of those bottom teams because we can't have the Chiefs and Bills play in the um, in the second round because that means Cleveland would play Baltimore in the second round. We want the the championship game to be Cleveland versus Baltimore, but we might not get that. We might not get that chance. But yeah, to me, it's Cleveland and and uh, and uh, 
Cleveland. What am I saying? Cleveland and Buffalo. By the way, no, I don't want to. I don't want to take too many, too many off ramps off this highway. So I'll stop. <laughs> Wait, no, I, 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 and I just want to jump in for a sec, Matt. I, I want to pull a thread that you mentioned there because you talked Uh-oh. about it, and and Uh-oh. you mentioned the fact that Flacco has outperformed Watson. They have paid Flacco eight hundred thousand for his services. They've paid Watson thirty five million for his services. What? do they do next year it is a i mean they're gonna go back to deshaun watson i it's sunk costs it's we've paid this money it's that kind of situation perhaps if joe flacco wins a super bowl for them maybe you know what it, it it's it's in i i'm not enough of a capologist to know how this works but you think about the situation with Lamar Jackson last year and all these teams like didn't want him or whatever. And now they're, now they're regretting that decision. Atlanta probably being one of them as well. And so now you look at, Hey, if Cleveland wins and we've seen this happen before, we've seen the Philadelphia Eagles a couple of years ago, win with Nick Foles. And then they're like, yeah, Carson Wentz, you're going to need to leave. Now Carson Wentz didn't have a guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson. But at some point, they got to be able to say, like, look, we got to get rid of this guy. We're going we're gonna to go with Flacco. We're going to get rid of this guy. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it works cap-wise. I look at what MLB did for Otani, and they allowed him to, you know, the, the MLB. I know that people credit Otani and the Dodgers. We all know the MLB did this to keep him out of Toronto. I'm not telling tales out of school. If, if, if Otani wanted to play in the city that he wanted to play in, he'd be a Blue Jay right now. So let's let's just put that out there. But if the NFL can be like, all right, we got to figure something out of like, I don't know if you do a Otani, Bobby Bonilla thing where it's like, okay, Deshaun, you can have your contract deferred or whatever it is, or as long as it's after June or anything like that. But it might be a situation where you have to let him go and be like, yeah, we're going to go. I Again, you might look back and say like, hey, he was starting to get it. But I mean, if you've rid your, if you have the ability to rid, to rid yourself of a terrible situation, of a terrible decision, like how do you not do that? Like it just, I don't know. I feel bad that he was the first like fully guaranteed guy because it's now going to tell NFL teams like, yeah, we're not doing this. Uh, this was a bad idea, and so I, I, I don't know that the smart thing would be to get rid of him, but I don't know that Cleveland's going to be able to, but yeah, you would want to keep going with Joe Flacco. I think Joe Flacco's signed for next year as well. Like, yeah, that'll be interesting to have both guys in camp. Like, let's see how that works out. The, the dead cap on Deshaun Watson's contract for next year is $220 million. So yeah, they're going to have to do some finagling with that one. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the MVP award because th- it's, it's Lamar Jackson's it's wrapped up. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's wrapped up. How would it not? Uh, like, how would it yeah, not be? Yeah. That performance against Miami really solidified it for me um, and for everybody really. But I, I saw something, uh, I don't know if it was on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever, but Dan Katz, uh, also known as Barstool Big Cat, um, he was talking about the award, and he made a great point. And it's not that Lamar Jackson isn't deserving of the award, but the MVP has become about which QB wins the most games at the end of the season or has like the best three or four-week stretch down the down to the end of the year. Is it time for voters and us as you know, the media 
to start looking at this award differently and start to include more positions because, you know, Donovan said this both on the show and off the air, it's basically become the Heisman award. And I'm not sure that that's the nature of what it should be like. Not again, not that Lamar Jackson isn't deserving, but is it really time that we start changing the way that we view how this award is voted on? No. It's uh it is what no, it just is it is what it is. Like that that's exactly what it is. Like even the Super Bowl winner is who is the best team that got hot at the end of the season. It's not a season long accomplishment. Every sport has at some point decided we're not gonna we're not gonna value what happens during the regular season over what happened in the final month of the year. And like college football has now moved into this too. College football was like legitimately the only sport that was like, these are the two best teams. They should play for the title. I know they lost the game here, but like people come on, these are the two best teams and they would go and settle it. And everybody would get mad because that third team was always like, this sucks. Like, why are we not included? Or there's a, there's a 12 win team from the mountain West. That's like, we should be in on this. Like, no, you shouldn't. Like I, I love the mountain West, but like, no, you shouldn't be there. Um, that was like pretty like baseball, you know, plays 162 games. There's a team that could win 111 and then they go out and get beat in three games by an 85 win team. And then that's the way it is. So that that's what we've made sports. So we can't sit here and just nitpick the NFL MVP. It is. Yeah, it is uh, the best quarterback of the best team. It's just, that's the award. And you know what? I mean, it's not a real thing. Like literally it's like a golden globe award. Like, does it really matter? Like who won, who won, who, who won best picture in 2014? Like who cares? Like that's the way the MVP is like, it's cool for somebody and it's the fans of the team, but ultimately it's like, yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. And that's like, we don't, we kind of ignore everything that happened. Plus if there was a guy, like if uh, let's look at Jalen hurts, like nobody would even consider Jalen hurts the MVP of this season, but look how good he was for the first 12 weeks, like undisputed Christian McCaffrey would have been the considered the MVP. And yet he probably didn't score enough points in your fantasy finals. And now you're upset at him. That's just the way it is. And that's the way sports has become. So there's no other solution. There's no other thing. Like it's the best quarterback of the best team. One of these years, a wide receiver will sneak in there and uh, get credit for that, but it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime. How doom and gloom was that? I didn't mean it to sound ominous, but like, it's just the way it is. And I think we just accept it. There is an offensive player of the year. Like that's where, you know, Puka Nakua can fight for that or Tyree killer whomever. But uh, yeah, it's just going to be the best quarterback on the best team. And that's just, that's just what that award is. Well, let's keep it doom and gloom with Adam rank. You said the word <laughs> meaningless. And I thought you were talking about the bowl season because that's what it is oh. right now in college football. And Adam, I'm not sure if you applied for this role, but we have promoted you to the role of commissioner of common sense. We just need a mm -hmm. common sense approach to what we're doing in college football because it doesn't seem like anyone has any sort of plan. Uh, how did we get here? Why are we here? Is there any way to fix it? For the bowl season, it's all about programming at the end of the year and what what we need we espn needs to fill airtime in december and early january so they're like well let's have a, a bunch of college kids go and go and go and play football 
I mean, it's much easier than, you know, hiring broadcasters to go out there and talk and do shows or whatever. Like, let's just go out there and do this. And then advertisers come out and play and it's Jack's Bees or it's pop tarts or whomever they come out, they sponsor a bowl. So there's, there's how we make money. I mean, this is, I know this is, I hate to be so realistic about things like, yeah, it's just, it's reality TV shows. And it is, uh, unless your team is playing and you're an ardent fan of the Tennessee volunteers, you don't care what, I can't even tell you. I know that Tennessee played in a bowl recently. I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, Georgia, Florida state was somewhat interesting for about a half. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm up. I'm playing dominoes again. It is just one of those things. And I know that people don't like bowls and they hate it. And you know, it's, it, it does seem pointless in a way, but you know, for, for a lot of alumni who have money to burn and they want to go take a, a trip to Orlando, like, okay, cool. Our, our school's playing in a bowl. And for the kids, this is the one thing about football is that if you grow up playing baseball, you can grow up and play softball pretty much for the rest of your life. If you play basketball, it's always available to you. Golf, whatever, whatever, running, whatever sport it is. Football is the only sport that for many of us, the last time you play a real true organized game is either in high school or in college. And I know that Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of these other guys want to opt out because they're going to the pros. God bless them. Like, I, yeah, don't get hurt, man. You're you're fine. But for a lot of these guys, you know, for for the players who are going to go on to work at Enterprise Rental Car, <laughs> like this is it for them. This is it. So for one week, they get to go to El Paso and hang out and be treated like royalty and you get this swag bag and you get to hang out and you get to play football with your friends for one last time. And it's, it's awesome. And it's worthwhile. And do people care? Like, no, but you know what? There's a lot of things that people do in this world that nobody really cares about. Like I'm going to be doing a stand-up special. Nobody cares, but still like, this is just one of those things, like an opportunity for these kids, TV executives get programming. It all seems to work out. I wish it could be, I wish we could get more people involved, but I, I can't like, I've been trying to get people to watch the challenge with me, but they don't, nobody cares. And I say, I want to sit here and talk about CT CT's probably coming back tonight. I don't, but nobody wants to talk about it and that's okay. I just go out there and I enjoy the things that I enjoy. Wait a minute. Okay. A couple things. One <laughs> is yeah, you get to play football with your friends unless 25 of your closest friends are hitting the transfer portal. So yeah. there's that. That's but, true. That, 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 that's the last time I'm going to see him before he, he transfers <laughs> to Texas A&M. It's great. But uh, also we do care about your stand-up special. <laughs> Tell us more. Oh yeah. We're going to be filmed. We're still trying to figure out a date because they gave us a date. This is so funny. So they're, Hey, do you want to come in and fill this thing? I said, yeah, sure. And one of my friends is a wrestling fan. The date they gave us was WrestleMania. And uh -huh. he didn't, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, April, whatever it is, April 3rd or whatever. And I'm like, Johnny, and Johnny even worked for the WWE for some time. And I'm like, dude, uh, check the date again. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, check it again. He's like, oh my God, we can't. Do yeah, that's it. We can't do it that night. Um, but yeah, we're going to be filming it. It's actually two real comedians, uh, Johnny LaQuasto and uh, Ryan Niemiller you might remember from America's got talent. They're both doing comedy specials. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. They asked me along because they feel like I can draw people in. I'm like that bird, like, Oh, okay. Like people will come see me make a fool of myself. And uh, we should actually do this in Cleveland. We'd sell out instantly, but <laughs> we, uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing that. So I don't know. Um, I don't know 
what that means. And I'm like, okay, like I'm just sort of in, I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, I do comedy obviously, but I, you know, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to be able to do that. I have to sit down and like update some jokes and write some stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't know if this still dates. Like I'm still doing jokes about telephones and answer machines. I should probably update this just a bit. Uh, I'm kidding. I don't do that anymore. But that, I'm, I was looking back at some of the old notebooks that I had. I'm like, oh my God. Like just looking back at some jokes, you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Like, yeah, you used to talk about, because, you know, I did this in college and like the stuff about, we used to share, like kids won't understand. Back in the day, we used to share a phone, not a cell phone, like a phone that was attached to the wall. It was the most annoying thing in the world. And so I uh, used to talk about that, but uh, obviously that it's not relatable anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I will tell you this. I've always wanted to try stand-up um, because I'm a huge fan of stand-up. Like I, I listen to, you know, Burt Kreischer and, and Tom Segura and their podcast and Rogan and all those guys. Uh, so I would love to try that one day. So I'm, I'm glad you do it because you tell us when it's out and I will not only watch it, but I will help promote it to the five followers that I have on Twitter. Um, awesome. And but you're doing the radio. Like, you, you're you basically there. Like, you're so close anyways. I know. I, I, I mean, it would take a little bit of writing. I'm sure we could come up with something. Uh, lots of off-base jokes. Those are always fun. Uh, and by the way, Tennessee played in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, uh, for yeah. all of those wondering, against Iowa State. Uh, I wanted to ask you this question about uh, before we let you go about your Bears. So, four weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, I was pretty convinced that Matt Eberflus was not going to be back. They yeah. have a chance to play sport. They have the first overall pick, which is incredible. Um, and they yeah. could trade it for a bounty again, which would be next level work by uh, Ryan Poles. But also they could play spoiler against the Green Bay Packers, which may be their Super Bowl this year. Justin Fields has played a lot better. DJ Moore has been that guy that they've been missing. How optimistic are you not only for the future uh, of this organization, but do you think Matt Eberflus is the head coach going into next year? Ryan Poles has given me a ton of optimism because of the way that he's just been able to assemble this team. Again, going back to, hey, with the, the roster they've assembled, he's done a, a magnificent job. Like outside of the Chase Claypool trade, which turned out to be not great. He's done a wonderful job. And even then, like, I know everybody was like, you you gave up a first round pick. It wasn't a first round pick. It was a second round pick that just happened to be 32nd because the Dolphins lost a pick. But it was a it was the first pick in the second round. And Joey Porter, I, I haven't watched him enough. But I can tell you he's not so significantly better than Tyreek Stevenson that that trade should be considered bad. It's like, okay, like they missed out on that, but they got Tyreek Stevenson, which is probably who they would have drafted anyways. So who cares? It's fine. We, uh, we move on because DJ Moore worked out pretty well. Having the number one overall pick worked out pretty well. Darnell Wright feels like he was the correct selection for right tackle. Braxton Jones looks like he's going to be solid at left tackle. Really, you know, as, as much as everybody's talking about, you know, drafting Marvin Harrison Jr., which hopefully will be the case. If they get a center, like if they, whatever they do at center, be it either free agency, another trade, or in the draft, when they get center short up, that is going to make such a huge impact on that offensive line that they are really going to be, well, they, they were in the playoff hunt this year until last week. So they're going to be a playoff contender for sure, battling for the North. So I love the way the organization, the organi organization is heading 
For me, the biggest question is Matt Eberflus. And, and Ian Rappaport came out last week, and he was like, yeah, Eberflus is good. Like, he's in. And I was like, we were doing the the show on Fast, the uh, NFL channel on the Fast, which is, it's not NFL Network, but it's NFL Channel, the free ad-supported television. You can go check out. You, gotta, you can get that on Roku and things like that. And I was on the show when that came out. And I'm like, does he not know? Like, the Bears have Green Bay next week. And now it's this week, obviously. They had they, they I don't want to say they have to win, but they have to at least avoid embarrassment because Green Bay humiliated them in week one. And now this is a true barometer of how far have you really come during the course of the season? Justin Fields has looked great. You were in the playoff mix. DJ Moore, you won that trade. How far have you really come? Because if you go out there and lose 35 to 19 or something like that to this Packers team, I don't know how you can sell Matt Eberflus to the fan base. And you know what? And it would also be like, look, this is this is now the level that we expect to be at. And if you cannot beat these players or you can't beat this team, then you know what? It's it's time to move on. I mean, last year going to Green Bay, the Bears had a big lead and blew it. Was it last year? The two years? I don't know. They all all the beatings run together. They have to go out there and beat this team. I would say beat them, beat them, and he's coming back hundred percent. Lose in a spirited contest, like maybe embarrassment. See you later. Like that. I think it's still wide open. I think a lot is going to be determined on this last game. Quickly before we let you go, we need you to determine the biggest debate in sports: the greatest male competitor. In challenge history is CT, Johnny Bananas, or Wes? I'm going to go Johnny Bananas because he's got the seven titles because he finds a way to get it done. If you're going on on brute strength, you know, CT is uh, obviously he he backpacked Johnny Bananas one time, and everybody remembers that. It's one of the most famous scenes from the final. But I got to give it to my boy, Johnny Bananas. You know what? He is the Tom Brady of the challenge. <laughs> And CT, when he's fully committed and he's, you know, got the dad bod, you know, taken care of. Because a lot of the final is running. Like, that's where Johnny makes up for it. Like, he's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He might have even won last year uh, the Challenge USA. But unfortunately, he got this this one challenge wrong. And, like, it, it was such an advantage of the Challenge USA. Like, if you if you got this thing correct... You got to take an ATV three miles. And if you didn't, you lost. Like, well, if you lost in that spot, then you lost. Like, I don't care how good of a competitor you are. You're not overcoming an ATV. So uh, Chris from Survivor ended up winning. But I'm going to give it to Johnny Bananas. Uh, that's kind of my boy, too. So that was that's an easy one. But I, much respect to Wes and CT. Uh, the only Johnny bananas for me is, uh, Johnny chase from the entourage and his uh, cartoon with Andrew Dice Clay. So that's my, Johnny <laughs> bananas. there you go. Um, uh, all right. Uh, listen, it was uh, wonderful to have you back on. Glad we could reconnect in the new year. Um, you're a big part of the show. We love having you. Uh, and we'll talk to you in seven days. Uh, don't, uh, don't throw a drink at anybody. Okay. I'll try not to. Uh, I want to go golf right now. I know it's it's 14 degrees out, and it was uh, it was raining. And I'm saying 14 in your sense too. You're um, the best. You know. So I, yeah, it's Southern California. Anytime the temperature gets below 20, 
everybody hibernates. So I'm going to go take advantage of that. Oh, I'm going to go take advantage of that. Tell, tell my guy, Sean Merriman, I said, what up? And uh, we'll talk next week. Sounds good, buddy. Uh, There he goes. Adam rank from NFL network and the sick podcast with Adam rank. We got to take a break. When we come back, pro bowl linebacker, all pro linebacker. He's Sean Merriman. He'll join us next. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. This is the fan checkdown on the Sportsnet radio network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And boy, oh boy, Donovan, lots going on this week, and we got plenty to get to with our next guest. Uh, he's a former All-Pro and Pro Bowl linebacker. He's the founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting. He is Sean Merriman. Sean, how are you today? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, we're good over here. Uh, Lights Out 13 this Saturday at Thunder Studios in Long Beach, California. Uh, you can go to lightsoutxf.com for more details. Uh, Gilbert Nakatani and Enrique Marte in the main event there. I, I'm, I meant to ask you this the last time I had you on, um, but we got to talking about so many different things. How many former college or professional athletes have reached out to you about getting involved in lights out, whether it be, you know, not fighting or fighting more, more interested in how many people want to fight because, you know, these are athletes and they're looking for something to do and they still have those competitive juices flowing. Like, do you get a lot of people reaching out that, that want to, you know, get involved in MMA? Yeah. Yeah. Tons actually, Um, you know, we're going to make some announcements here probably in the next uh, 30 to 60 days with some former athletes, man, who played ball and is trying to come over. And, you know, I, will, I always say this, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about the um, athletes, you know, kind of struggling on the transition. I mean, I went through my little phase and whatnot, and it's tough, right, when you get done from the game. So a lot of these guys are just picking up some form of, of combat sports, a, a jiu-jitsu, a boxing, Muay Thai. And before you know it, they get really good and they get really good quick. And, uh, you know, because they're used to being explosive and athletic. So now you have these guys saying, you know what, I still feel good. I didn't have that long 10-year career. I want to go try, you know, this, this combat sports out. So we are having a couple guys who are going to announce fights here uh, within the next couple of months. And it's going to be fun. I want to know about guys who are still playing football and the application to making their games better. When you look at the trench warfare at the line of scrimmage, guys trying to get after the passer or reroute receivers, how applicable is the training in mixed martial arts for someone who's still in the game of football but wants to compete at a high level? I started for that exact reason between 2005 and 2006 with uh, Jay Glazer over Fox Sports and, um, and Randy Couture. That was my first day learning um, just really hand combat drills, learning how to open your hips up, pummeling, grappling. My stamina got a lot better. My hands got a lot more, uh, more active. So, you know, I always tell guys, pick up, pick up some form of combat sports. And you, you heard this all season, um, you know, Tua, right, doing jiu-jitsu to learn how to fall. There, there's lots of uh, positives that can, that can come out of this when guys actually learn to pick up the sport. But I'm telling you, man, we're going to have some – these next six to 12 months are going to be fun because there's more and more former athletes, guys that played, you know, maybe in SEC or Big Ten that didn't get a long career in the NFL, and they're all coming over. 
Well, they certainly have the athletic profile for it. A lot of them to take part in the sport. Uh, wanted to switch over to football here. And, you know, you were, you were a great San Diego charger and I know you still follow the team and, you know, they made the change at head coach with Brandon Staley. I think a lot of people saw this one coming, um, but it looked like a lot of players, especially in that last game against the Raiders, that Thursday nighter where they gave up, you know, a boatload of points, the second most points that had been given up all season. It looked like the players had quit. Who is that more of a reflection on the players or the coach? I would say, man, it's hard to say, because I would always say the players, right? Because at the end of the day, no matter who the coach is, you still, whatever you put on film, kind of gets circulated around the league, right? So, you know, that coach be gone. You know, Brandon Staley was fired. He was let go. But guess what? You still got you given up on film. And that's the last thing as a player that you want. You don't want ever to show that you're giving minimum effort because guess what? That next team may be looking at you. If you're not going to be with the charge the whole time, that next team saying, hey, hey, this guy likes to give up. He doesn't like to go 100%. He quit on the coach. He quit on the team. Now you're known as that guy, and that's the last place you want to be. And, and I don't like to technically use the blanket of statements like, you know, the players gave up, because now it seems like everybody did. But let me tell you, out of 11, you, you probably got about three or four guys that, that simply just quit. And, and I've seen that during that game, and I've seen it a couple of times during the season. Well, it's interesting, because I want to get your perspective on another level that you dominated, and that's the college level. Now, your Terps are up. Uh, once a Terp, always a Terp. But looking at this bowl season, we talked about it earlier with your buddy Adam Rank, uh, the amount of people in the transfer portal, the amount of people opting out. I, I wonder what's happening to this level of the game where if things aren't necessarily perfect, people don't grind to try to get higher on the depth chart. They just bounce and go somewhere else. When you were playing at the height of the sport in college football, to see where it is now, what comes to mind? I still can't wrap my head around it, you, you know, and uh, and I'm a guy, man, I'm, I'm really good at moving with the times. I'm not like the old school players where, you know, they talk about how they used to wear leather helmets back in the day and play with no mouthpiece, right? I'm not one of those guys. Um, or, they, or they say the game is soft. I'm definitely not one of those guys. I, I just can't wrap my head around that a, a young man that's not fully developed, not fully aware of all of his surroundings, that if he don't like things one day can get up and just leave. And that, to me, it says a lot. Um, and I was in the situation. I didn't start early on in my career at Maryland. You know, I had to fight my way on the field, even though I was having, you know, averaging seven to nine sacks a year off the bench. Uh, finally, I got my start and, and uh, led, the, led the team in sacks, and I left early and got drafted 12th overall. So I can't really wrap my head around these guys nowadays because, hey, sometimes you're not going to like the coach. Sometimes you're not going to be in the best, best position. But how hard are you willing to work to improve your situation, right? And so now you're having some of these guys go to another team and still not start there. So none of it really makes sense. Uh, joined by Sean Merriman, former All-Pro and Pro Bowl linebacker with the San Diego Chargers, the Buffalo Bills, founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting. Um, I wanted to ask you this uh, about... You know, when you watch the games, because I'm I'm always curious to get this take from a former player. Like, who are the players on either side of the ball that you love watching? Like, I for me, for the longest time, like I'm a, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. 
So for me, for the longest time, somebody that I would make sure I tuned into that wasn't on the Buffalo Bills was Aaron Rodgers. Who are the guys for you that you love to watch, that you will, you know, make time to to watch this player play, whether it be on defense or offense or both? Like, do you have guys that stand out for you like that? Uh, nowadays, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love watching uh, Nick Bosa, you know, when he's going um, – I love watching Roquan Smith and Queen. That those, uh, you know, middle line, inside linebackers. There, I mean, they they play. You know, again, I don't I don't want to say the game is soft. The game is all that, but we know the game has changed. It's but they it's soft. Me, like, it's those, a little soft, Sean. Yeah, it's a little yeah, soft. <laughs> I try not to say that because they, they're soft because of the league, the rules, the other. They make them a little soft, right? If you're Josh Jacobs and you lower your helmet, you run somebody over and get a twenty-two thousand dollars fine. I, I, it will make me a little soft too, right? So. I'm not completely pointing the finger at those guys, but Queen and Queen and uh, Smith and Entop, man, just old school linebackers. I don't think we've seen anybody like them since maybe Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. I mean, they, they, these guys just play with a lot of physicality. T.J. Watt, Khalil Mack. Um, so I, I still I still get a chance to sit back and watch the game, right? But I think it's for me personally. It took about two years after the game before I can watch the game as, as a fan, right? Because I think those first two years, you're still in a player's mentality. And the further you get away from it, you become a fan in just the art of pass rushers and defense and, and some of the skill position guys. Well, it's funny that you say that because that's actually why I think Queen and the Ravens really can finish this thing off and go far. And you saw his comments recently where, you know, he sounded like Suge Knight saying, come over to death row if you don't want be dancing in the videos. He said, we play a brand of football that people don't want to play. Everyone wants to be out here being cute, playing basketball and grass and stuff. And we are not with that. You can do all that stuff. We're just going to hit you in the mouth every play. What's that mindset like offense, defense, special teams that they've got that culture in Baltimore? It's very contagious in the locker room. You see it. Um, you know, and, it, and it, the, the crazy thing is it translates in, onto the offensive side of the ball and flowers. You know, they, they don't have a guy that's not physical, even on the offensive side of the ball. Odell Beckham said the other day in the locker room that this is by far the, up, the best team up and down he's ever been on. It's a mentality that's established in that locker room. Um, they have my former uh, uh, defensive line coach, who I trained with during my pass rush coach during the offseason, Chuck Smith. Um, they brought him in this year, and I saw that they made that move during the offseason. I said, okay, these guys are going to get after you up front because Chuck Smith is, is one of the – he was a great player himself back in the day with Atlanta, uh, but he was, he's an even better coach because he's so technical, and I've learned so much from him, and so it was a great move by them. But it, the establishing that mentality started during the offseason, but you can tell across the board that these guys are, are go, trying to go all the way. I wanted to ask you about Justin Matabike because, you know, he should get a lot of credit for the season that he's had, but because he's a defensive tackle, I don't think people realize how impressive 13 sacks is for a guy on the middle of that defensive line. Like, you know, it's a lot of edge rushers that have seasons like that. And, you know, you see the, the, the miles Garrett's and the TJ Watts and the Daniel hunters and all those guys. And then you look at Justin Matabike who has 13 sacks, 
as a defensive lineman on the interior. How impressive is that for you? And what does that tell you about how well-rounded this defense is? Because they've got, like, Jadavian Clowney's having one of his best seasons. Kyle Van Noy has had a great year as well. Like, how impressed are you with how they've been able to get the most out of all their guys on defense? I played with two uh, two two damn good defensive tackles. One Jamal Williams, um, who was a big run stopper, but also was very underrated as a pass rusher in San Diego when I played there. And I played with Kyle Williams for for the Buffalo Bills, who was very one of the most underrated guys that I ever played with. Don't get talked about enough. Uh, Marcel Marcel, uh, Marcel Darius, right? Marcel Darius it came in from Alabama. I played with him. Uh, so they're not going to get the credit that they necessarily deserve because the, the cute positions, the pretty positions are on the outside where guys are rushing a passer, uh, you know, Michael Parsons of the world. Like people, you know, I love to watch. Like it's more exciting. I, I always call those guys interior. They got the dirty work, you know. So after the game, you know, I go and pat them on the back and I tell them, thanks for doing all the dirty work because they just, they'll never get the credit they really deserve. You look at an organization like the Bears, who have a huge decision to make on what they do with Justin Fields. Potentially, it's locked in right now. They've got the number one overall pick, and there's some good quarterbacks, including one in Southern California in Caleb Williams. If you're giving uh, Ryan Poles and that group advice, what do you do? The bird in the hand? Do you get more draft capital for, for Fields and potentially use the number one overall pick? Or you know, do you, do you keep rolling with the guy who's playing decent football right now? I said uh, a few weeks ago that um, I feel that Justin Fields and the Bears probably should part ways. And this is why I said that it's not because Justin Fields can't play. It's just that early on in his career, he didn't have a whole lot of help. He was judged based on you know his inexperience, obviously, because he was young, but he didn't have a whole lot of help around him. Now they have you know DJ Moore. They got a defense that's playing well. They got the number one pick coming up. They can get more draft capital. And, you know, so – I don't think that Justin Fields getting the credit that he deserves because I think that if you give him a staff, you give him an offensive line, number one wide receiver, the defense can play play game, and a decent running back who can get you out of tough situations, he becomes an all-star. He becomes a Pro Bowl caliber player. I really do believe that. And if the, if the team don't see that early on and they're talking about drafting Taylor Williams, they're talking about you know going another place or something like that, then maybe Justin Fields needs to depart and go see what he's really wanted at. My opinion, it would be crazy to let Justin Fields go. It would be crazy to let Justin Fields go. He's just starting to hit his stride. He's just, they just brought in a guy, uh, DJ Moore. They just you know, kind of figured it out on the offensive line. They figured it out on defense. And so they had team struggles, but a lot of that in the past has been pointed at Justin Fields, and I just don't think he's the problem. I would totally agree with that sentiment. Uh, Sean, listen, we're fresh out of time here. Thanks so much for, for taking some time for us today. As always, greatly appreciated. Uh, Lights Out 13 this Saturday at Thunder Studios in Long Beach, California. Go to lightsoutxf.com for more details. Thanks a lot again, Sean, and uh, hopefully we'll chat with you down the road. Thanks, guys. The fight will be live on Fubo TV's Fubo Sports. If you don't have Fubo, make sure you get it, but this one will be a big one. Thank you. Awesome. There you go. Sean Merriman, former All-Pro and Pro Bowl linebacker with the San Diego Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I'm going to take your question, Donovan, and I'm going to pose it to you. What do you do if you're the Chicago Bears? I move on from Justin Fields. As much as I agree with Sean Merriman that he is not the problem, 
he probably hasn't had as much value as a Chicago Bear as he has right now. And it, this is the issue. He, for the rest of his career, no fault of his own, is not just going to be compared to the rest of his draft class, which in hindsight he, he doesn't look bad in comparison to. He's going to be compared to what the top QBs do in this draft class because the Bears have the number one overall pick. I trade him potentially for a second and a third or players that can help right now, and I either draft Caleb Williams or you can move down uh, and draft, you know, Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix or someone and, and stockpile more capital. I I think they move on with him because it's not just about the player. It's about resetting the clock on when you need to pay that player. And if you aren't going to be committed to giving uh, fields the type of contract that players are getting after their fifth year in the league, well, then you might as well reset the clock and get a young QB at relatively low money considering where the position's going. But that's my okay. take. I, yeah, I'm taking the other side. I think that they should keep Justin Fields. And the reason why is this. The way that the draft board has now played out with Arizona moving up draft slots I think you can trade down to two or three, get more assets because Washington or New England, they're going to want a quarterback and they're going to be worried about teams that could be behind them that want to trade up to that spot. And I think that there's a deal to be made, whether it be number two at Washington or New England or number three at one of those teams where you can get a lot of draft capital and then you can still get Marvin Harrison Jr., which is another, which is the guy that they probably want, the guy that they probably need. I think Justin Fields has shown enough for me anyway, especially over the last few weeks, that I think he should be the guy in Chicago. You know how I feel about Justin Fields. Hey, I'm wearing the shirt right now, Soldier Fields, okay? And um, I just think that, that he's the guy there. He's in the system. He has a good connection with DJ Moore. It just makes way too much sense for me. Um, but we'll see. The Chicago Bears are arguably the most interesting team this offseason from a personnel standpoint uh, with the players on the field. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, thanks for putting up with, with my issues. Uh, Donovan, thank you as always across the table. And Andrew, behind the glass, the fan check down. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll chat with you then.